Did you notice the title of the sermon in the bulletin? Oppie's Request. Someone asked me, what's an oppie? Well, an oppie is not a what. It's a who. I want him to stand up for a moment so that you can see who he is. He's right here. He's a member of our church. He, uh, he's a bricklayer and also landscaping. And he's lived in the Beaumont area for a while. He was wondering, why did I move to Beaumont? Because all of his people and churches are more back in the L.A. area. Um, Oppie speaks his native tongue, Tongan. So if you can speak Tongan, you can carry a conversation with him. If you don't know Tongan, well, you can speak Samoan to him, and he speaks fluent Samoan as well, too. But if that doesn't work, like it didn't work for me, he can speak English quite well. And he came into my office this last week and was sharing with me, and, and he said, you know, I believe that God has put me in this church for a special reason. He's got quite a story. We'll have him tell that sometime. I'm not going to try to spoil it for you. It's better coming from his own lips as he shares. But he says, I do have a request. He says, there's one thing that I need to have settled in my mind so that if I ever go back to my island in the Pacific or if I go back uh, to some of his, his friends and relatives in, in L.A. that speaks his language, he says, I want, to, I want to have something settled in my heart that I know that I can share with him. And he says, that's the topic of health reform. Because he said back in his, in his island, they keep the Sabbath. There isn't any problem with the Sabbath. A lot of the doctrines, there isn't any problems with the doctrines. But the one thing that the pastors do not share and that they have a problem with is on the area of health. On what to eat, what not to eat, what's good to drink, what's not good to drink. And so many of them keep the Sabbath and go to church, but then when they leave there, they drink intoxicating beverages and they smoke and they do all these things. And, and he says, I, I, I feel like I need to, to go and to share with them, but I need to have it settled in my mind as well, too, that I can see and, and understand it because all of us know if we're going to share something with someone, we've got to believe it in our hearts first. If you don't believe it, if you don't understand it, then don't share it with someone else because it's not going to come across. And so you have to have it down in your own heart. So what is it about the health reform? Well, I want to take you to a Bible text that is actually a benediction. It's found in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And you'll wonder at first, what does this got to do with health reform? Well, let's take a look at it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23, verses 23 and 24. Now, let's include 22 in it as well. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, Paul is saying, abstain from every form of evil. That should give us a clue. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. What does this have to do with health reform? Well, let's just kind of look at it for a moment. First, Paul focuses our attention onto the God of whom? The God of peace. Now, take a look at your life and ask yourself as you travel back and forth from work and you get on those famous Southern California interstate, by the time you get to the work or by the time you get home, how much peace do you have in your life? But God is concerned about our peace because He's a God of peace. We worship a God that is interested in our mental well-being. And he desires nothing more than to let us have peace. Second, Paul points out that this same God wants to sanctify us completely. Sanctify means he wants to set us apart as being different from the rest of the world. The world wants to see something in us since we're worshiping God, they want to see what makes the difference. Why should we, you want us to come and to be a part of your church? Why should we want to be a part of your church? Well, it's because God has made us different. So the world is going to see us as being different. We're going to see that in a moment. And then we come to the third part of the benediction. He says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you not only to be different from the rest of the world, but he's kind of spelling it out. He wants you to be different physically, mentally, and spiritually. They all combine together. They all blend together, and they all must work together, or you have something missing within your life. God wants you to represent before this world a person who is whole physically, mentally, and spiritually. So he's concerned about all of us, about our whole being. But I like the promise then that Paul gives at the end because some of us might be thinking, yeah, but I can't do that. I can't make those changes. I can't seem to get the peace of mind that we talk about. I can't seem to make the changes in my life to make me physically better. I have a weakness to food. I have a weakness to some of the things that I drink. I have a weakness to some of the things that I do. And Paul says in that verse 24, He who calls you, the one that calls you to be different, is faithful, who also... We'll do it. God's going to help you. You got the strength of heaven that's going to give you that that you are weak with. He's going to give that strength and make a difference within your life. I love that promise, and don't let that promise go from you. I like what the New International Version says. It says, 
Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that you may go well, that that all may go well with you, even as your soul is going along well. That's found in 3 John and verse 2. I pray that you may enjoy good health. I'm not going to take a poll and ask how many of you are ailing today. But we hear it when we come in and we greet you at the door. How are you doing? Well, I got this ache over here. I, I almost died this week. You think God is not concerned about your health? He is very concerned. So there's evidence that we know in the Bible that God is concerned about your whole being. Not only spiritually, but about you mentally and physically as well too. He wants you to be different. When God led His people out of captivity in in Egypt, and He was going to lead them to the promised land, this wasn't just a small group of people that He was leading out. When they left Egypt, some scholars believe that there were over one million men in this group. Now, that doesn't include the women and the children as well, too. So way over a million people, maybe two, maybe three million people that God was leading out of Egypt to take them to the promised land. We're talking a whole nation that he was leading. And he was guiding them out into the wilderness to this place that he had planned for them. And it was his plan, as they were going to go across, that this nation, this group of people, was going to be different than any nation that has ever been seen on the world. They'd already been in Egypt, and they saw all the problems that they had in Egypt. But then they're going to go in and they're going to see the the people of Philistine and they're going to see all these others that are going to be there. And God wants this nation, this group of people that he's leading, to be totally different than they are. He wanted them to be the most joyous people in the world. He wanted them to be the one that was so close to him spiritually that people would be able to tell the difference. He wanted them to be physically healthy, like Mary read in in, uh, her text today, that he didn't want us to have the diseases of Egypt like what they were plagued with. They're to be mentally and physically different. They're to have have a a nation that that is uh, uh, recognizable by its justice, by its law, and by its order. He wanted them to be mentally superior in all intellectual attainments. In other words... God wanted them to be the number one nation in all the world, in the eyes of the whole world, so that they can look and see this nation and say, you're different than what we are. We have never seen anything like this in a people. He did not want them to be a proud and self-righteous nation. No, he wanted them to be an example of people who are willing to follow God and it changes their whole life, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Do you think he wants anything different now? That he's changed his mind and says, oh, that doesn't make any difference anymore That was just the Old Testament people that I wanted that for. 
He wants it for us now. Probably even more now than what He wanted back then. Because the world now is so full of of corruption, is so full of people with with, uh, mental problems and people with physical problems and people that are searching the world for something spiritually to believe in and they're looking and they're saying, we don't seem to be able to find it. And God says, I want to show you a people who I have been helping mentally, physically, and spiritually, and they are Seventh-day Adventists. Because they've got it together. What a message we have in our church. And what a message we're hiding. God's goal is to have a people that has total faith, obedience, and submission to this God and His self-sacrificing, unconditional love and are willing to go anywhere and any place that He wants them to go. And He still wants that in you and in me. Now, God was leading this nation to the promised land, and in the meantime, He gave through Moses many instructions which touched every phase of those people's lives as they were going across. He gave them banking laws. He gave them civil laws, agricultural laws, sanitation laws, laws of health, laws for for food, what to eat and what not to eat. Not as a requirement for salvation, but to be able to be an example for the rest of the world that these people are different. These people want to live a better godly life. God gave them all these regulations so that they would be the healthiest, happiest people in the entire world. And yet I still find Seventh-day Adventists who say, but it's a sin to smile. Oh, Lord, help them. And you can see it on their face. If they was to smile, their face would crack and fall off. I remember going in and visiting one of my church members in the hospital and he just knew he had the cure for himself. And I've never seen anyone so sick and he was telling the doctors and the nurses, I am healthy. And he looked terrible. What kind of a message is that? Can't smile, we're not really healthy. Don't touch me. Stay away from me. Don't have peace of mind. Grouchy, angry. Is that going to attract people to God? I'm amazed. I have seen and talked to a number of engineers and number of health professional people 
other denominations that says, you know, you Seventh-day Adventists, you really uphold the Old Testament. And if people were just to follow the, the guidelines that Moses was given for banking and for sanitation and, and health reasons and everything else, he says, These, we should be following them today in our professions. It's not outdated stuff. And in studying the Old Testament, God's followers, sorry to say, began to resist God's guidance. They didn't want God to tell them what to do. We don't want people to tell us what to do. To follow these rules and regulations that were set before them by Moses, they would have to admit that God is their supreme ruler. And they didn't want that. They wanted a ruler that they could see. And so they wanted a king. They didn't want a God to rule. They wanted a king. They didn't want a theocracy. They wanted a monarchy. And so they began to set up their own human king. Let's get rid of God. He can't control us anymore. We don't want him to speak to us. Look what it says in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. First Samuel chapter 8, beginning with verse 7. God finally gave them what they wanted. First Samuel chapter 8. Beginning with verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also." He's saying, you know, Samuel, don't, don't take the blame on yourself. He says, in reality, when they're wanting to set up their own monarchy, they're rejecting me as their God. How can God help a people when we begin to reject the very God that wants us to be the number one nation, the number one people? How can we reject the God that says, I promise that I'm going to do it, is I'm going to help you to be physically and mentally and spiritually better than the rest of the people. I have given you guidelines. It's very clear. But you won't even read my books. You won't read my Bible. You won't read from the spirit of prophecy. You just close it up and say, that is old stuff. We don't need that today. How am I to lead a nation if you're not willing to listen to me? I want you to be different. I don't want you to be like the rest of the world. You're going to reveal to them the best way of life that I have to offer. And yes, you will be different than the rest of the world. And yes, they won't like it. But 
But that doesn't mean that I don't want to be your God and that I don't love you. After rejecting God, those people began to attack His rules and regulations. We can get rid of them. Then they're saying, I will do whatever I want to do in my life. And that even includes salvation. So there's two sets of people. Either they're sitting there and they're saying, I don't need any of these rules and regulations. I don't need to talk about my health. I don't need to talk about my mental problems. I don't need to talk about any of these things. They don't mean anything. And I'm not going to follow what God has to say. I'm just going to do whatever I can and exist from day to day. Then there's another group that says, no, what we're going to do is we're going to do it our way and we're going to take these rules and regulations and we're going to make them a means to salvation. So if you don't eat pork, you'll get into heaven. Well, if that's what it's take, Jesus didn't need to come down and die on a cross. We can just all kill off all the, all the pigs in the world today and we'll all make it in. Some of the religious leaders came to Jesus with a complaint because his, his disciples were hungry and he brought them to some food and they started eating and they didn't wash their hands at first. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 2. Matthew 15, here's the religious leaders, the ones who are to be following God. The ones who were to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah and they didn't even want Him to be Messiah. They wanted to reject Him. But look what it says, Matthew 15, verse 2. They're speaking directly to Jesus. Let's start with verse 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They were making this washing of hands as a means of salvation because they said if you don't wash it just right, and they were meticulous in the way that they washed their hands and the number of times that they ate their, they washed their hands and ate their meal. And they had to do it just right because they believed that if they didn't, that God would reject them and they would not have salvation at all. Jesus responds to their complaint. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 17. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. He says, you're looking at the wrong things. It's not cleansing of your hands that defiles a person. You're trying to make that a means of salvation. It's what's in the heart that really defiles. By the way, God wants to help eliminate those things that are in my heart that causes me to do those things. He's, he's re, he, he wants to... to changes physically, mentally, and spiritually. He begins to renew our minds. He begins to change our habits, our thought patterns. 
He's the one that is going to make those changes. So sometimes we make the, the health rules, and you've seen and heard the people within our denomination, to almost become a religion of its own. That almost that you have to com- comply with these or you're lost forever. I'm lost when I reject Jesus Christ. Not a ham sandwich. But because I love Jesus Christ and because I know that He loves me and He died for me and He gave me instructions in, in Leviticus to not eat pork, I will eat it because Jesus, who saves me, asked me not to. Does that make sense? Hope you're not having pork sandwiches after church today. I don't eat pork. I don't eat the things that are clean or unclean. In fact, I lean towards the vegetarian. In fact, I go with the vegan diet. Not because it's going to get me into heaven, but because the one who's going to get me into heaven says, you know, this was the original diet that I had created for mankind. And I want you to be the healthiest people in the world. And I do it because of Jesus. What God wants His people to do because He's concerned about the total man is to take His rules and apply them as best as we can so that we can be the happiest, healthiest people. Why? We are to be a witness to an unhealthy, unhappy, sick world that's trying to find answers. They're looking for a God that they can believe in, that they can trust. They're looking for a God that can change them. God says in 2 Corinthians that every believer is an ambassador for Him. We're God's servants, and we're witnessing to a world what it's like not only to believe in Christianity, but to live Christianity. It's, it's, a, it's a revealing physically of the inward faith that we have within our hearts. And He wants us to be that healthy, intelligent people. Take a look at Daniel. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Beginning with verse 12. We know the story, but let's look at it again. Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Remember, Daniel was taken into captivity into Babylon and he was instructed that they were all to eat what the king set before them. They were to drink whatever the king set before them. Look what it says, Daniel 1, beginning with verse 12. Please, Daniel saying, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men 
who ate the portions of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Notice the balance. They not only says, you know, we want to eat the vegetables. We want a vegetarian diet. We don't want the, what the king eats. We only want to drink water. We don't want to drink the wine that the king has out. Not only were they physically different because they compared them with the other Jewish young men that were there who ate that diet and, and they were better, but not only that, but because of that, God blessed them mentally. You could see the physical change, and now he blesses them mentally. And they increased in their knowledge of literature and in their knowledge of, and their wisdom. And Daniel began to understand dreams. Look how God is using them. When you understand dreams, that's blessing them spiritually as well, too. And now the, 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 this pagan country is looking at these young men and saying, Wow, you've got something better than what we've got. We've got to begin to change the diet of all that's around them. Now look at, their, look at Daniel 1, verses 19 and 20. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, all uh, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. He compared these young men to his, his PhDs and his highly educated men, and those young whippersnappers were smarter than these guys. His most intelligent people in his nation. And he says, there's something different here. There's something that I can't understand, but there's something different about these people. Brothers and sisters, that's what God wants us to be, is the healthiest and most intelligent people in the world. We are to be different. Now, God also wants us to be the happiest people in the world. The Bible tells us that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It's also contagious. When I am cheerful and I go into a room, that room becomes cheerful. Now, my uncle, bless his heart, for seven years was on dialysis. Seven long years of having to go just about every other day into this doctor's office to be poked, jabbed, probed, and who knows what else. He said when he entered into the, to the waiting room and all the others are waiting there to go take their turn for the dialysis, he says it looked like a morgue. Everybody was so solemn, so stern, wouldn't speak to each other. And he said, you know, God doesn't want us to be that way. And so my uncle, who's going to get poked, jabbed just like they were, came in with a merry heart. And the people in that whole waiting room, their whole attitude changed. 
just by one man being happy. A merry heart does do good like a medicine. Do you see how God can just take us and when we're cheerful in the Lord, what it can do with people, strangers that are sitting around us? My uncle didn't know these people. He didn't know where they came from. All he knew was that they were going to go through dialysis. He was going through that. And it's not fun. But then all of a sudden, the the staff is laughing and are cheerful. Their disposition changed when he came in to the room. They all wanted to fight over him. Who was going to to hook him up to the dialysis machine? Because they liked his attitude. God also desires that we live in peace. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans 5, 1. Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got peace. You know, if, if, if I develop cancer and I've got to go through, and it's terminal and I've got to go through all this pain and, and everything else it goes through, and, and maybe I won't lose my hair, maybe I'll grow it, it'll be different. But even the worst cancer in the world cannot take away from me the gift of eternal life. I've got peace. I can die in peace. The devil can't take that away. There isn't anyone that can take that away. We're told that nine-tenths of all diseases of the world is a result of either stress, mental problems, poor eating habits, and the lack of exercise, and the lack of sleep. So God says, I got a remedy for you poor health. I've got a diet. I can give you peace of mind that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I can give you peace. And I can give you comfort. I'll even give you a comforter called the Holy Spirit that's going to help you. What? If he's willing to change, am I willing to allow him? So what are we saying? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Paul says, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own? When I accept Jesus Christ by faith, 
the Holy Spirit moves in. When he moves in, things don't stay the same. He's willing to make some changes. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, we read the purpose for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Why do I change my diet? Why do I change my way of exercising? Why do I change my lifestyle? Not because it's going to get me into heaven, but because it's going to allow the God of my heaven to begin to take control in me to be a witness to others in the world. Look and see what my God can do not only in me, but can do for you. He wants to reveal Himself through your body, through your actions, through your mental status, through your physical status, to a world that has a hard time understanding who God is. So, let's eat the right food that God tells us to eat. Let's drink the right things that God tells us to drink. Let's abstain from the things that God says do not drink or you will die. But you begin to die physically. Get the right exercise. Get enough sleep for all the right reasons so that God can have a people that will reflect His Holy Spirit in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body, because it is the power of the gospel that is working in our lives, then people, God can, can say to the universe, here is my people. This is what the gospel can do for you, mentally, physically, and spiritually, for I can change the total man. I will help you to change. I will be your strength in time of weaknesses. I want Jesus to live out my life within me. Don't you? Hymn number 316.
Before we pray, I need to remind you again that the Vesper service that we was going to have tonight with the soup and sandwiches will be postponed till next week. We will have it then because there's a private party that's going to be over here. So we will have that next week. Also, those who will be singing, especially in that group for the song for our Christmas program, needs to meet in the in the primary primary room. You say primary. Over there in one of those classrooms and practice because you only got two Sabbaths left to practice. Shall we pray? We have not only a special God, but a special life that you want us to live. So, oh God, we're the temple. We're seeking that you live out your life within us now, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.